Thank you, Bob. Bob's kind of like our energy bunny around here. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. Um, but we all need people like that in our lives, don't we? Thank you, Bob. Hey, uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm going to invite you to turn in God's word with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as we continue this discussion on everything. And we're going to be talking today about what God does with everything that we entrust in his hands. And as we do that, if you're visiting with us, I don't normally have these blackboards behind me, uh, but I wanted to kind of call it out and kind of just take a three-section approach of this passage as we look in the word of what are timeless principles that God has for us to know that uh, that were true back then and are true today. And as we look at what is, this is where we look at our own lives with the truth of God's word. And this third board is really uh, us answering the question, what if? What if we all believed this together and acted together? That's where we move from a moment in time when God did something incredible to a movement of God in our lives. And so I'm glad that you're here. And uh, as we look at this passage, I want to just ask you a quick question. And that is, do you remember a time, remember a time when you were tired, spent, and hungry? Tired, spent, and hungry. When was that time for you? For me, it was um, a hike that was supposed to be two miles, but ended up five. And with a pack that had just a few snacks, which I quickly devoured in just a few minutes. And then I became hangry and exhausted, little things that really I could kind of handle the quirks with the people I'm hiking with. They turn into major points of confrontation. I said things, I felt things that a man, a pastor, should not say or feel in the midst of all that. But those times, uh, you kind of are at your worst in those moments. And as we come to this passage, we're going to be learning about the, the practices of everything. And and we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you have heard of this story? Okay, thanks. Um, this is one of the most well-known stories in the, the life of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all detailed this story of the feeding of the 5,000. There's only one other miracle that happened that all four gospel writers wrote about, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is a very important miracle. This is something that Jesus used to teach his disciples. It wasn't just a single moment of incredible supernatural power, but it was, it was something that he wanted to stay with them. It had staying power in their lives so that they'd never forget it. It happened on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, where Jesus was doing ministry. This is off the grid of the Roman world at that time. And it was in small places, small villages, small towns. And Jesus would go in and reveal to them through miracles and through teaching that he truly was the Messiah, the expected one. And as I've traveled in that area and taken pictures, I always, we don't know the exact place where this happened, but I'd like to think an open area like that where uh, this amount of people could gather around and listen to the teaching of Jesus. Two things, though, that we need to know going into this. And the first one is this. His disciples were tired and hungry and spent. They had just come back from a short-term mission trip where Jesus sent them out two by two, go and tell this region that, that the king has come, preach the good news of the gospel, go heal people, 
deliver people from different oppressions that they had. Go and 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 this is when they came back after that time. They were tired, exhausted. They were spent. Jesus said, "Come with me to a desolate place." But the second thing that we need to remember is that uh, Jesus lost his one of his best friends, John the Baptist, was beheaded right before this, and so he was going through a time of loss and of grief. And he was getting his mind around this. And again, he wanted to go away to a desolate place. So they got into the boat. They went out on the Sea of Galilee and the crowd followed them. (laughs) They thought they were getting away, but this crowd met them when they landed the boat. And it says this in verse 34 of Mark 6. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So one of the first things I want us to notice and observe about Jesus in this passage is that although he was tired and spent and hungry, he was able, he sees the need. And by that, amidst all the deficit of being exhausted and lost and grieving, he looked and he saw this crowd And he saw who they really were. And that melted his heart. He had compassion on them. Here it says he has compassion on them. And he said this. They were like sheep without a shepherd. We're not told whether or not he said this to to the different disciples. But can you imagine this? You see Jesus and he's physically moved by this. And he may have looked over at one of them and said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, if you were in the religious authority of the age, the Jewish religious leaders, you would take that as an insult because they were the shepherds. They were the leaders of the people, and they were known as shepherds. And then for sheep to be without a shepherd, they weren't doing their job, or they were really doing a lousy job at it. And that's what Jesus was basically saying through this is, they're chasing my sheep, they're putting burdens, and they're putting regulations and restrictions on my people, and so my people are scattering. They're sheep without a shepherd. He was able to see the need. When you see people, a lot of people, does that move you at all? See, when you walked into this building today, I know we can't go back and change it, but if you could, what would it look like for you to see what Jesus sees with people? Especially if you've had a crazy week, you know, you're hurried, you're, ha- you're hangry. And again, I know that, I get that a lot. It's 11.38 and everybody's wondering, when are you going to quit preaching, okay? But, but what happens to you? How do you view coming together as a group of people? How does God work in your life to move you to be a person of compassion rather than a per- person of criticism? Because when you're tired and when you're spent with your lives and you come to a place like this, people are just going to be, they're going to be frustrations to you. We need to see the need as Jesus sees the need. Okay, so he sees the need. And secondly, look at verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away, and that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Something we want to just say about this passage is that Jesus, then, he invites us into meeting that need. This is interesting. 
because uh, the disciples, uh, they were wanting the people to leave. It's time. Go. You've been here for a while. You've heard him. He's healed you. Okay, we're tired. Go. I wish they'd all just leave. And Jesus says, okay, you give them something to eat. Now, this is just going to show you the turmoil, the emotional turmoil that the disciples go into. And Mark details that for us. Look at that. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them, give it to them to eat? Okay, so 200 denarii was basically how the tip, how much the typical worker in that day made over the course of a year. So if he were to say it today, uh, the average income of a household in Shawnee County is like $60,000 here today. And so it would be like someone saying, well, if we're going to feed them, it's going to cost us 60 grand. And all of a sudden we'd go, okay, send him away. <laughs> Why? Because it it's, doesn't seem, it's, this is just one meal and people can get it in surrounding areas. Why would you want to make us pay for it? I mean, we resources, financial resources are limited. They're scarce and there's times of inflation. And why would you ask us, Jesus, to do that? And so look at verse 38. And he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, and they said, five and two fish. I love how John details this. John goes a little more personal. He names a few of the disciples' names. They're more general in Mark, but John says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. But look at this. But what are they for so many? So none of them packed. None of them bought their coolers. This wasn't a tailgating event that Jesus was, was preaching at. It, basically, they, they said, there he is. We need him. Let's go to him. And as time wore on, they got hungry and they were exhausted. And Jesus said, we're going to take care of this. So what do you got? Can you imagine that search? They go out searching. All the disciples go. Andrew finds this little kid. Maybe he was playing to the side. And he had something. He was carrying something. Hey, kid, what do you got there? He goes, I got five barley loaves and two fish. He goes, okay, um, I was told to just go out and find what we have. So he grabs that and he takes it back to Jesus, but he can't resist. He says, this is all I got. This is all I got. And what is this among so many? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever seen the need of the world and then go, oh, there's no way I can make a difference on that? Or have you ever tried to engage it where God has welled up in your heart such a passion to address something that's so broken in our world and when you finally think about the resources that are needed to make a difference, you just go, I got nothing. I got nothing. Jesus says, what do you have? Because that's where his focus is. It's He could have instantly just said, all right, whoo. None of you are hungry, and everyone's stomachs would have filled up, and you would have gone, wow, how did that happen? But instead, he looks for the limited resources that people had, and when it was placed in his hand, a miracle happens. And he commanded them to all sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in the groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. This is the third thing Jesus does. Is he takes what they gave them and he blesses 
and multiplies. Now, can you imagine how this could have done? He has them separate into groups of 50 and 100. And I guess if we were doing that miracle in this room, there'd be a group here and a group there and a there and there and up on, up on the, the, the tiered area. And we'd all get together and someone would bring a basket and someone would bring the fish. And they would just start reaching in that basket and start passing it out. Pass that along or with COVID, they'd probably go way over and hand it, you know, with the glove on or something like that. And everyone, everyone ultimately would receive what these five loaves and two fishes would do in the, in the hands of Jesus. He blessed it. Jesus didn't go, huh, you guys could do more. He just took it, and he thanked his heavenly Father for it. And then he multiplied it. I don't know how that happens. I guess another miracle that we see in the Old Testament is when Elijah took that little flower that was left over and that little oil that was left over from that widow in Zarephath, and he he multiplied it. She always had enough to eat, just enough to eat. And here he starts multiplying it and he starts going out. I know this is blowing your mind. For someone who's wrapped in reason and logic, this blows my mind. How could he do this? I don't know because I don't have the power to do that. But Jesus did. He blessed it and he multiplied it. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, it says. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Boom. Now we get a picture. How many people were there? Well, if you were counting men, there were 5,000. Women, children, <laughs> it could have been as much as fifteen to 20,000 people. But at the end game, when they come tired and hungry, Jesus comes and satisfies them. He satisfies them. Look at it. It says they all ate. They were all satisfied. And then it wasn't just the people that he satisfied because there were 12 disciples, right? And what were the leftovers? Look at the leftovers. Each of them had a doggy bag that they could go home with saying, look what Jesus did because Jesus satisfied their need. If you're reading along with our reading plan that read through Mark 7 today, I believe it was, um, Jesus fed another 4,000 with seven loaves, okay? And so there's there's a difference in these two, but everyone ends up satisfied with more than enough food to eat because he took what they gave him, he blessed it, he multiplied, and he satisfies It reminds me of Psalm 145, 6. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's who God is. He takes what we give him and he multiplies it so that he satisfies everyone. Everyone. Jesus would say later that I am the bread of life. He would show this whole picture of as we feed on him, as we believe in him, as we live our lives where we're trusting everything we are and everything we have in his hands, we're satisfied. We're satisfied. And so as we think about these everything practices, I want to kind of move now into how do we respond to this personally. Here at this time, at that one time in the world where there was a miraculous feeding of 5,000, over 5,000 people, we saw that Jesus sees the need. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I see 
the need. Okay, so it's a question. When you walk into this place, when you drive through Topeka, do you ever ask the question, God, what do you see when you see this place? Like I had a friend recently who said, Joe, how do you look at your city? And if I have to confess that one, I tend to look at my city more with deficit by what's broken here. And it's easy to do that. I mean, just read the, um, the, the, the newspaper. And then if you're online, look at all the comments. Never is there, are there good comments. Everyone's just angry and bitter and frustrated. And just shows us how divided and frustrated and bitter our world is. But he said, well, why don't you do just two things? Why don't you think about when you're driving around Topeka, why don't you ask God, what do you see here that's beautiful? And the next question, what do you see here that's broken? Two things. What's beautiful and what's broken? And that helped balance me out. Because we live in a broken world. Things are not as they should be. But there is still the image of God that is being shown in people and in places. This God who created all. It's good for us to start asking this question, God, what do you see? And you will reveal basically how you process this world either from deficit or surplus. Deficit, oh, people, I'm exhausted. I just need my own space. I need to go to my own desolate place where I can, I can hang out, I can relax, I can rest up, I can take that vacation, I can do whatever I want to do, and no one will tell me what to do. How do you see the need? Jesus is always going to move us towards people, and I know that overwhelms all of us. It does, especially when you're just trying to make it, especially when you're tired, especially when you're spent, especially when you're hungry, hungry for things that money cannot buy. So Jesus is going to call us and he's going to ask us, do you see what I see? And then secondly, if he invites us into meeting the need, the second question is, how am I responding Sorry about the squeaking. It could be chalk. Okay. There it is again. How am I responding? Because the disciples, when they saw the need, they went, (laughs) we got nothing. Send them away. That was their response. And then even when Jesus said, well, what do you have? They brought back what they had, and they said, okay, we got five loaves and we got two fish. And by the way, the loaves were about that big. They weren't huge. They weren't like a loaf of bread you buy in the store. They were about that big. And the fish were not like a 20-pound catfish. They were like a little sardine that was salted and preserved so they could give them over, eat them over time. And so these small pittance of a provision, and then they always had the commentary. I got this, but what is it among so many? That's a question a lot of us ask. I don't make a lot. I, I can't give. I can't make a difference with what I give. And when Jesus is only asking the question, what do you have? What do you have? Do you know in generosity throughout the Old and New Testament, that's all we're responsible for? It's not, we're not responsible for money we don't make. We're only responsible for what God has already entrusted into our hands. That's the picture that we have here. How am I responding? Okay, and because uh, when we give, Jesus blesses, 
and he multiplies. Excuse me. <laughs> and then he satisfies. All right. Let's talk about this. He blesses and he multiplies. So right now, if you were to think about Fellowship Bible Church, and you think about how many people we reach in a, over the course of a given month, each month, how many people worship with us and connect to our ministries. Do you know that number right now is over 5,000 people? And I was here when it was 100 and I've seen over the course of, of being involved here that God has grown us. And how do I view that number? Because I usually get a little pushback from fellowship based on people seeing that number. And here's the deficit conversations I hear. You can't be preaching the gospel because the, the pure church is the small church, right? Um, it's too big. I can't be known there. I can't belong there. Um, you guys are compromising in some way. I just know it because that number of people just, you, you're doing something. That's deficit thinking. It's even deficit thinking to walk into a place like this and just be overwhelmed and want to just stay isolated. What Jesus is saying is, look, whatever you have, I'm going to take it and I'm going to multiply. Trust me that I'll do this in the lives of people. And for all of you who are giving, did you know that God is using what you're giving to influence over 5,000 people a month. Now, that's more than just who come on a weekend here. That's Monday nights with our adult Bible learning environments. That's our Alpha course that we're going through, our rooted groups. All of those groups are reaching people. On Tuesday night, our life care groups, people going through crisis, people navigating loss, people navigating restoration in marriages. On Wednesday night, our student ministries are going. And, and it seems like every night of the week, this church is doing something. We're involved in people's lives. And so God is using far beyond yourself and even beyond your family, if you have one here, to, to reach more people. We're able to do that because you're being generous. Over 5,000 people. He's doing, if you look at in your inside of your, your uh, worship program today, on the left-hand upper side, there's a wheel. And that wheel shows where the percentage of every dollar that's given here goes. And if you were to take every dollar and just turn those percentages into pennies, you would see how many cents on every dollar goes to those places. God is taking what you give, and he's blessing it, he's multiplying it, and he's satisfying people. Some of the greatest stories I hear are people who have met Jesus. Some of the greatest stories I hear are people who are giving generously here, who are watching and celebrating and seeing the opportunity that we have a church in our community to advance the gospel in our generation. So throughout this series, we've been pursuing the vision of trying to answer the question, what if we were a generous generation? What if we, what if it was said of us that 
we looked at everything we had and not things we don't have. We didn't long after the things of this world that's always dissatisfied with where things are at and is always longing for more of things. But rather, we saw Jesus, like the apostles did last week, where they saw him as everything. So they took him to everyone everywhere because he was their everything. This would require us to have eyes that are awake. In other words, we aren't distracted by the things of this world or even our own little world of being tired and hangry and spent. But rather, we'd have eyes that looked and asked the question, what do you see, Jesus? What do you see in our city? What do you see in our church? And then we have hearts that are aligned to Jesus. Everything in our world kind of lures us to have a passion or to have a desire or a lust for more. And yet Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. He's able to get his, his heart around them and loves people so that it directed what he would do for people. Um, don't we see at the center of the gospel, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a God who sees this world and chooses to love it anyway and to send his son. And so those who follow Jesus have hearts that are aligned and hands then that are open. Some of us have more, some of us have less, but we look just like at the disciples and we go, what do I got? What do I got? And we offer it to Jesus because we know that everything that Jesus receives, he blesses, he multiplies, and he satisfies. That's the practice of what God does when we're generous. And so over the course of this month, we've just been asking each person to consider increasing what we give by 1% of our incomes If we make $50,000 a year, that would be less than $50 a month. But we said, if everyone were to do this here, if everyone were to do this, we would be able to give two times the resources beyond ourselves as a church. That means outside the walls of this church, not only would we be able to pay for our budget, but we'd also be able to expand ministries. And I put up this picture of the different countries that we've been able to invest in and with our partners there. And we're already reaching 17 different countries here. But what will that look like if all of us just gave a little bit more? We're talking about doubling the resources we're able to give beyond ourselves. And we could see together God do something greater than any of us could do by ourselves. I mean, I have areas and people that I give to that God has worked in my heart to show me that fellowship doesn't support necessarily, or that some that fellowship does support, but they're outside of my giving here to the church. And those are all great, but I have seen God work when sooner or later we all have to commit to some place with some vision For what God is going to do that if we all join together, he could do an incredible thing. And we are at that point as a church. I'm told we are a sleeping giant. That there's a lot of people who are just watching. And there's some who are generous and are giving. And we have an opportunity. I'm not going to know. So I can say this without without any shame or guilt. I'm not going to know what people give here, but I, I can only tell you, but 
We have an opportunity as a group of people to do what the disciples do when Jesus sees the need and he invites us into meeting that need to just trust it in God's hand because he'll bless it, he'll multiply it, and he'll satisfy needs around this place. And so some of us are going to need to begin. We're just, we may not be giving right now, but I would encourage you, begin someplace that when you look at what do you have, not what don't you have, but what you do have, you're willing to give some of that to the Lord. And then some of us are going to need to grow if we're already giving here. You have been faithful. You have been consistent in your giving. But in order for us to reach two times beyond our church, you're going to have to grow that. And some of us will just need to multiply it. And all I'm saying is God has so blessed you financially that you want to do something significant in what God has blessed with you to make the name of Jesus greater in your generation so that we as a church can be a generation that our children and our grandchildren see that we were willing to make Jesus our everything, to make Jesus to give Jesus to everyone everywhere. That's that picture that we have as a church. So I want to encourage you to think about that, to ask Jesus to give you eyes that see the need, to ask for a heart that's open when he says, what do you have? And to simply allow the spirit to move in your life. And I will trust that God is true to his word And that he will use his people to bless and multiply and satisfy people in the kingdom of God through the person, the work of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you because one of the ways we're measuring engagement on this whole concept is just how you're responding to the great generosity experiment. Last week, we gave almost two truckloads of canned goods and non-perishables to the Topeka Rescue Mission. I saw Barry Feeker this week, and he was floored by your generosity. This week, we were only going to have two trucks, and it looks like we'll have four trucks full of clothing that you all have donated. I mean, if that was 10% of your clothing, you guys got a lot of clothing. You are, you are fashionistas, definitely. Um, but next week, as we give to furnish homes, these are people who are being transitioned by the Topeka Rescue Mission out of homelessness into homes, but they don't have any furniture or furnishings. As we give to that, it's going to be awesome to just look at what God is going to do in providing furnished homes for people who used to be on the streets. And we, as a church, all doing this together, can, can see, we'll be able to see what God will do when we simply trust him with what we have. He'll bless it. He'll multiply it. He'll satisfy the needs of people around us. Thank you for being a church that's open for a conversation like this while at the same time available on what God might do if we simply followed him together. Would you stand with me as we close? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for each person in this place. Thank you for uh, your vision today of showing us who Jesus is and how he meets needs. You could do it without us, but you invite us into it. And just as that young boy probably went home to his parents and said, look what Jesus did with what I gave him, may you work in our hearts so that we rejoice not over an amount not over what we did, but rather what Jesus does when we trust our lives to him. 
May he receive the glory and the praise. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.